Good morning. Good morning. There we are. After that awesome worship, I figure we are alive and awake and excited. I know I am. It's, uh, I'm, always, I'm always just really awestruck by the worship here. I mean, just voices, simplicity, but, but just excellence and God-glorifying music. And so I'm, I'm always glad to be here. As Pastor Craig mentioned, my name is Philip Pinkney. I am, if you're visiting with us, I am not on staff here. Um, so if you came to hear one of the awesome guys here, I am sorry. You can uh, slip out, and I'll think you're going to the bathroom, and you can go on a picnic or something. But um, I'm honored to be here. Uh, Pastor Craig and his wife are dear friends of mine and my wife, and so every time I come here, I really feel well-loved. <laughs> yes? <laughs> so I'm from Charleston, but I did live in Philadelphia for about five years. Um, that's where we have a special connection. I just messed up the recording. Okay. <laughs> She's from Philadelphia. I'm from Charleston. We love each other. It, it, it works. <laughs> um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm really excited about just being before you today because I believe that God has something for us all. Um, I'm excited to hear what the Lord has to say to all of us. Um, over the last few weeks, uh, Pastor Craig has been talking about the kingdom, just kind of walking through some of the narratives in Matthew chapter 13, some of the stories and the imageries that Jesus Christ is sharing with the disciples and those around him to try to get them to understand what is this kingdom? And he went through several of those parables. And I wanted today to talk about kind of the kingdom revealed, the kingdom consummated, this, this final kingdom. And I want us to kind of paint a picture of that. And as I was thinking about a, a way to kind of express that, one of the first images that came to my mind was the crucible. Um, I'm an enlisted Marine. And after 12 weeks of boot camp, you have this thing called the crucible. Now, it's, it's a relatively new thing in the Marine Corps. It started around 1996. And the crucible is this, I don't know who thought of this, but is this insane 54-hour, see if you still live through this so you can call yourself a Marine test. Um, but it's, it's a really special time in the life of any, anyone in boot camp. Like I said, it's about 54 hours. You sleep for around six hours through that entire time. You walk over 45 miles with about 45 pounds on your back, and it's just test after test after test. And you're given basically two MREs, think about two little box lunches of really bad food. And that's supposed to last you through this, through this, you know, this horrendous ordeal. So you're doing team exercises and you're being pushed to your limits and people are crying and they're, they're going crazy because they're sleep deprived and our bodies are weary because this is on the tail end of 12 weeks of boot camp. So we, we come into this thing tired and weary and 54 hours later, the goal is to surmount this incredible obstacle to receive this reward, the reward of standing in formation, the position of attention with your handout, and for the first time, your drill instructor, who's been treating you like, like a good church word here, um, <laughs> like a less than valuable person, um, for 12 weeks, that's, that's been your treatment, but after the crucible, you're standing in formation, for the first time, you hold out your hand, and in puts... This drill instructor puts a black eagle globe and anchor, the EGA, puts it in your hand, shakes your hand, and calls you a Marine for the first time. And that moment was forever etched in my memory. I remember where I was. I remember how I was feeling. I remember being covered in mud and dirt and sweat and blood, some of it mine, some of it others. I don't even know. But I remember that moment of just 
The drill instructor who's been yelling and screaming and running for 12 weeks now, smiling and shaking my hand and calling me Marine. And I just, it made it all worth it, right? For some of the Citadel cadets, they think of Recognition Day, the day where you finally get your hand shake from the upperclassmen. They recognize you as a person, as a part of the company. Um, I remember that too, uh, being a, a fourth battalion tango nub, and that moment of just recognition of saying, you're one of us now. Um, so I want to paint a similar picture because as awesome as Citadel Recognition Day was and as awesome as getting that Eagle Globe and Anchor is, it pales in comparison to the future reward that every believer in this room has to look forward to. And so I want to just paint a picture, guys. I, just, I have one aim today. My one aim, my single aim, is to revision us, to re-excite us about what's coming next. We feel the crucible daily, right? We feel the crunch of life. We feel the temptations pulling at us. We feel the idols of culture and politics and our job and our money. We feel all those things pulling at our hearts daily. So I don't feel like I need to remind you about the crucible that we all feel daily, but I want us to remind us of what's coming next. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is coming a moment where all the sacrifice, all the prayer, all the suffering, all the joys will seem small in light of what's coming. So I pray that we would just open our hearts to receive. So let's pray now. Father, you have given us great and glorious promises. And by faith, through the work of Jesus Christ, we can take hold of those promises. So I pray right now, God, for new vision. I pray that you will strengthen the weary, that you will encourage the downtrodden, that you will sober the mind of those who look to this life and find their joy. And I pray right now that we will have a new vision of the reward of the believer, namely yourself. Open our ears to hear your word. Open my mouth to speak your words, God. And let no one remember anything but your word penetrating their heart and you speaking clearly to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles open to Hebrews 12, that's what we're going to spend our time. And this is one of my, one of my favorite verses. Um, because for me, it's a, it's a very clear reminder of the balance of the Christian life. There is a real crucible that every Christian must face. We must say no to sin. We must say no to temptation and compromise. But we can too easily fall into the trap of thinking that that's all there is to the Christian life, is just saying no and discipline and hard work. And a lot of that's there, but there is a greater joy that I want to kind of reignite our affections for, reignite our passions for. Because in the grind of everyday life, we can forget that there is next. There is something after this. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Pause there. Anyone who's ever taken any seminary classes knows that in the world of exegesis, whenever you see a therefore, right, you have to understand what the, 
therefore is therefore. Um, it's funnier the first time you hear it. Um, so anytime you, in Scripture you see this therefore, the, the, the inspired writer is assuming that you know what has happened before. Like they're saying, okay, something has been said, and now therefore, let's pull this truth. So let's zoom back to Hebrews chapter 11, because that's what the therefore is pointing us to. And so in, in Hebrews chapter 11, I encourage you, when you get home, maybe with your families, your roommates, your friends, your spouse, whoever it is, read this chapter out loud devotionally. This is a hallmark passage of the history of Israel and the faithfulness of God. But I'm going to run through it because we're not going to understand what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says to us unless we understand what Hebrews 11 is trying to convey to us. So you're going to get the, the Cliff Notes version right now. You ready? All right. So if you're following along your Bible, I'm going to start at verse 1, and I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear, constructed the ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age. By faith, Abraham was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings on Jacob and Esau, future blessings. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. By faith, when he was born, Moses was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the king. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, and by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish, but those who were disobedient. Now pick up with me in verse 35. Women received their dead back by resurrection. Now watch the tone shift here. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They, talking about those faithful men and women of old, were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Verse 39. And all of these, all of these men and women we just read about, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they shouldn't be made perfect. That was a lot of by faith, right? It's a long chapter detailing the history of God's people, but this isn't a history of great men and women. This is a history of a great God's faithfulness to sinful men and women. And by faith, they did great things, and that faith was in that great God. See, Abraham, when he offered Isaac, believed that although God had promised him, Abraham trusted trusted God, that even if he were to kill Isaac on that altar, God would raise him to life. 
Now, Abraham didn't have the benefit of understanding the gospel, but how right he was that all believers who perish in this life will be raised to eternal life. So we see this history of God's faithfulness, and now we return to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, that therefore being because of God's demonstrated and proven faithfulness to his people, therefore, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand and the throne of God. You see, dear Christian, this is not a bare-fisted, teeth-clenched Christian life. This is painting a picture of the fight for joy. If you read Hebrews chapter 11 and all you do is focus on what these people did, you will start to feel that weight of works. Well, I'm not as faithful as Abraham. I wasn't as willing to sacrifice as Rahab. I wasn't as faithful as Joseph. And if that's the way you read Hebrews chapter 11, you missed the point. Hebrews chapter 11 is not about the great works of men, but the great faithfulness of God. And the great faithfulness of God should give us full confidence and assurance that he can be trusted. Church, this is a fight for joy. This is a fight to keep our eyes on the prize because there is joy. You see, there will come a time when the present realities of your circumstances will not lend itself to rejoicing. There will come a time when the monotony of the day, the troubles of the day, the sacrifices of your life will not lend itself to lifting your hands and worshiping God. It is in those moments that you must remember that there is something coming after. There is a promise yet to be fulfilled. I was thinking about even my own time as I was preparing for this sermon. I hadn't thought about the crucible in many years. But as I was thinking about this story, I remember times where um, I had the, the distinct misfortune of being one of the uh, platoon leaders for my, for my company. And so if you're a platoon leader in the crucible, your experience gets a little more fun because right? you're expected to be a leader. You're expected to, to sacrifice more and walk more and carry a heavier, heavier pack and to get less food and to get less sleep. And so I might have slept a few hours the entire 54-hour crucible constantly standing watch. And I remember some days just going numb. I'm walking for the 37th mile with 50-something pounds on my back, and I don't see anything in front of me. My feet are just almost walking on their own. I'm almost half asleep as I march in formation. And what kept me going was the people around me and the reality that there's something coming after this. Like, we're not just marching to march. We're not just carrying weight to carry weight. We're not just suffering and sacrificing for its own sake. But no, there is coming a moment after this that will make it all worth it. And so it is in the Christian life. Many of you have been blessed to experience the joys of this life, the pleasures of this world, the excess that living in America affords us. And that's not a bad thing, but it's still in comparison. It still falls woefully short of the joy that is to come. And so Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us to fix 
our eyes on Jesus. Matthew 13 reminds us of that truth as well. You don't have to turn there. You may have heard this in a previous sermon about the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And the key to this whole verse for me was that in his joy, he sells all that he has so that he may purchase the field and obtain the treasure. In his joy, he sold everything that he had, not because he was told to, not because he had to, not because it was the good Christian thing to do, not because everyone else did it, so I might as well do it. But no, I found something better than everything I have. So giving up everything I have means nothing. If I walk up to you and say right now, hey, give me $10, and you look at me strange because why would you give me $10? And I say, well, because I want to give you 100 and there's not enough room in your wallet for both. That's not a hard decision, is it? You'd probably find a couple more $10 bills to give away. That's the Christian life, church. Yes, you may have to give up house and home and comfort. Yes, you may have to give up money and time and talents, but you will get something bigger and better than you can ever imagine because God will not be a debtor to any man. And so, yes, we say no to sin. We say no to compromise. We say no to idolatry, not for saying no sake, not because that's what the Christian life is. No, we say no because we want to say yes to something better. We want to say yes to someone better. That is the Christian life. Revelation 21 and 22 is where we're going to spend the next few moments. Revelation 21, 1 through 7 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, verse 5, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. If that doesn't excite you, you may not be a believer. That is where we are going, church where God will be our God and we will be his people, his sons and daughters, and we will have unbroken, perfect fellowship with God in heaven for all eternity. You see, heaven isn't heaven because there are streets of gold. Heaven isn't heaven because there are pearly gates. Those things might not even be real. Heaven is heaven because God is there. That's what makes heaven so great. That's what makes our expectations so high. 
is we are not going to a place, we are going to a person. And although in this life we have broken fellowship with that person, we fall, don't we? We mess up, we sin, we are imperfect, we struggle, we strive, we repent for the same sin year after year, day after day. Our affections are torn between this world and the next. See, in this life, we have a broken fellowship with our God because we are living in broken bodies and we reside in a broken world. But there is coming a day where we will get new bodies, Corinthians 15 says. Those new bodies will be stainless and perfect and able to bear the full presence of God. And we will stand before him saying, worthy is the lamb around the throne for all eternity. That is our reward. Revelations 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, talking about the entirety of God's people yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants, us, will worship him. They will see his face. They will see God's face, and his name will be on their foreheads. He will claim us as his own. That means... And night will be no more. There will need no lamp, no light, no lamp, nor sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Church, too often we forget why we're doing this. We forget why we're doing this. When I got saved, I met a God who was legitimately better than everything this world had to offer. For I had tasted almost everything this world has to offer. I didn't grow up in the confines of church. I grew up enjoying the world and the lusts and pleasures thereof. Until one day I met a God who didn't make me just feel bad about my sin, but showed me how foolish it was eating the scraps from this world when I could be sitting at the banquet table of the righteous. And I couldn't understand that. As an unbeliever, it makes no sense. On those outside of fellowship with God, it makes no sense that sex and pornography and greed and success, that those things are empty shells of the true joy possible in this life. That makes no sense. Until you taste and see that the Lord is good. And not just good, better. Better than what? Better than whatever you want. Better than fill in the blank. Jesus Christ is the supreme treasure and pleasure for the believer. And I know what it's like to hear that and think that that's nonsense. But as a man who has tasted the world and has tasted but a shadow of the reality of living in God's presence, I can objectively tell you that it is better. It is better. So, 
There is a future day with a future reward. And I want your hearts to come alive, if never before. I want your hearts to come alive to that reality now. Yes, we are in a crucible of life. Yes, there are trials. Yes, there is suffering. And I don't want to negate that. Some of you are going through real sacrifices and suffering and trials right now. And I don't want to minimize the reality of that. What I want you to do is see those things with a clearer, eternal perspective. All prayers of faith will be answered. All prayers of faith of, for healing, for rescue, for deliverance, for provision, every prayer prayed in faith according to the will of God will be answered. It just may not be in this life. We pray for healing, and it may come in this life, and the Bible tells us that we should pray for it, and we should believe God for it, but it may not come on this side of eternity. We pray for rescue and relief from suffering, and we should pray for those things. And God may give us those things, but for some of us, it will come on the other side of eternity. You see, our hope is not in this world. And I know you hear that a million times, especially in the political season, right? Our hope is not in this world. You hear that refrain repeated over and over again. But I want to tell you that your hope is not in this world. Dear Christian, your hope is not just not in this world, but it's somewhere else. It's in someone else. And that's where our gaze should be focused. That's where our attentions should be focused. That's where our effort and our worship should truly be focused. Oh, that we would labor in righteousness the way we labor in this world. Oh, that we would store up treasures in heaven with the same ferocity that we store up treasure in this world. Oh, that we would consider our salvation and our righteousness the way we consider our estates and our lives in this world. We should be good stewards. Yes, God has called us to do many things while we are here, but we are merely passing through. Paul says that if there was no resurrection of the dead, we are to be pitied above all men. And I think many of us, myself included, We try to mitigate the impacts of that verse. Paul was saying, we are so otherworldly that if you look at our lives without the hope of resurrection, you should feel bad for us. But only in light of what comes next do you seek to be one of us. And many of us rig our lives to mitigate that impact. We try to make our lives look so good without a resurrection that people can look at our lives and say, hey, whether there's a resurrection or not, I want his life. I don't know if that's going to get us where we want to go, church. I don't know if living for what we oftentimes find ourselves living for gets us where we want to go. I think there is a reality that we are so otherworldly, that we are so holiness and righteous-minded. We are so gospel-loving, justice-proclaiming, work-doing people that there is a sense in which there's got to be something more to why they're doing this because this doesn't make any sense. 
It doesn't make any sense to give the way they give so liberally. It doesn't make sense for them to move into that community. It doesn't make sense for them to do those things to people who hate them and use them and abuse them because they don't know what's next. And we, we live for the reward. We live for the reward. Piper talks about this idea of Christian hedonism. There are people who disagree with the the choice of words, but the idea is soundly biblical. We want what's best for us. We are naturally selfish, and that's not always a bad thing. We We just pursue the wrong things to fulfill that desire. Where the right things, the best things, is God himself. His people gathered together the church. His word, the eternal truth of God left for us. That's what's best for us. I would be remiss if I talked about the coming reward if I didn't share the other reward. You see, everyone when they die will stand before God. And for the believer, for those who have turned from their sins and trusted, that will be a great day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. That will be the day we look forward to. But there is another judgment. Romans chapter 2 reminds us, verses 6 through 11 says, He, God, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality, believers, he will give eternal life. But listen carefully. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 10 but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Verse 11, for God shows no partiality. I would be remiss, church, if I didn't give you the full counsel of what's coming next. There are some in this room who should be excited, who should walk out of here with a new vigor and a new strength to do what God has called you to do, but there are some who should be afraid. Not in some hypothetical, I'm using this word out of context, but a literal fear that you are in opposition to God himself. And one day you will get the reward for the unrighteous living that you've done in this world. For you, you can be in this church, but not a part of this church. You can be a regular attender and not be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. You can be giving and serving and loving and hosting groups at your, at your house. You could be doing all the works associated with Christianity and not know the God of Christianity and not embrace the gospel that defines Christianity. So you can be faithful to the church and still face judgment because judgment is based on this fact, whether you personally have turned from your sin and said, you know what, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I've messed up. I know that I've broken your rules and your laws, which are good for me. And I repent, and I say I'm sorry, and I will trust you 
for the rest of my days, whether it leads me to success or failure, because it does not matter what happens here. It's what's next. It's what's next that matters. If you are in Christ, please, please, please be encouraged. Take up new strength. Work with a renewed vigor that you will receive the reward of your righteousness. If you do not know God, well, you've got a decision to make because that day is coming for us all. I pray that you would repent of your sins, turn from God. Don't leave this place without talking to someone if you are unsure. Don't leave this place without having a conversation with someone if you are unsure of what God is going to say to you when you stand in front of him. I want to end the words from a famous hymn. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, you are absolutely without qualification, worth it. God, every sacrifice will seem small. Every joy will seem incomplete. Every good day and bad day in this life will seem as if mere vapor when we stand before you, God. God, I thank you that we do not just have this life to look forward to. God, the suffering and the pain, the good and the bad that we see will come to an end one day, and you will set up a new Jerusalem. There will be a new earth, and you will reign with your people for all eternity. You will be our God, and we will be your people. God, thank you that that is our hope. Thank you, Father. pray that you will bear fruit in the life of the believer, that they will walk out of this place encouraged, that they will walk out of here with a reckless faith, for they are truly invincible. What can man do to us? For our salvation is secure. I pray that you will convict the unbeliever God, that you will bring to bear the full weight of conviction by hearing your word, that souls would get saved even today. Conversations will be had repentance will be offered and people will be added to your body, the bride, the church. I thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.